I'm finding a, a pleasant refuge quality about the monastery in the, this particular time. It doesn't always seem like that, but it's, uh, it's great when it uh, comes into this kind of balance of, of uh, practice and people being together and you know, focused and working on themselves and steadying their energies, you get a feeling of a, a refuge which isn't just, um, you know, it's something that everybody is creating all the time. It's not just, um, you know, a thing you can go and just nod off in, but you've got to keep creating it, building it, or attuning to the refuge quality. And certainly it's, uh, you know, and you start to kind of open to that sense of refuge, uh, like looking for it, where is it? You see quite obvious things. It's just today, how nice it is to be somewhere you can be warm and dry, rather than out in the rain and cold. I was considering these poor creatures out there, birds and rabbits and things. Pretty rough life out there <laughs> this time of year. Dying, I imagine quite a few of them. So I was just uh, <laughs> pleased to be able to just sit in my cootie this evening, feeling warm and dry, <laughs> free from stress and free from agitation on that, on just on that level, having food to eat and really quite wonderful to sense that you know. This can happen. This life can bestow this upon you. This kind of sense, sense of of um, being in something that's um, looking after you, mm. looking after your welfare. As I say, work on it means you love it. Just actually tuning into it, really. First thing is that it's one of the joys of the. Sangha life is the sense of it's really all there in one way, but you can keep not noticing it or seeing the gritty bits or the tangled bits or the tatty bits of it. But uh, everything we're doing is given generosity. Just thinking of my my clothes are about several different people making them, you know, contributing the material, making them, giving to me, actually kind of clad in this stuff, people's wish to help and look after you. Uh, I was noticing today, it was a very nice uh, scene after the meal, we have our Saturday afternoon, we have a clean-up, and part of the ritual is we have to grumble a bit about doing it, as part of the kind of way of... <laughs> It's the way you kind of share share the experience. You, I think you know, you've got to have something a little kind of mild grumble. Uh, <laughs> we really just do this kind of thing. And then there's a couple of Thai people turned up and uh, came in and had their books. There's some books they picked up for free distribution and they just kind of came in and they sat down and Ajanatika was sitting there cleaning the brass. And he could speak some Thai, so he was just talking to them. And you can see these two people, you know, 
they looked like a couple of birds who'd flown in out of the rain. They'd found somewhere they could just kind of squat and nestle, and somebody was actually just giving some attention and, you know, saying things to them to think it was that high level. He said he was running out of things to say. He was starting saying things like, Can, do you have brass in your house? <laughs> just something to say. <laughs> uh, and it really wasn't the point. The point was just a sense of, uh, you know, these people came in and obviously, well, that's not obvious, but they hadn't been in very long, so in a strange country and it's grey and rainy and it's not Thai and, you know, you don't speak the language very well and it's, London and stuff, and you just kind of bundle into a car, I guess, and just zoom down to the monastery just to be somewhere where you can kind of feel, come out of your crinkled state of being and feel a little bit in something that feels spacious and warm and familiar and that kind of quality of comfort to it. Now, so this is great. You know, people can do this. And... uh you know, and everybody else, we were just cleaning up and people just going about their business, tidying, sweeping, mopping. And it was very nice, I felt. You know, there was no big deal about it, no big crisis. It was just a sense of human beings doing things and, and gathering together and these two people just being able to sit in it and somehow feel this sense of the acceptance and being part of, in something, you know, that was just allowing them to be there and be um, in refuge, just not on that kind of level alone. And I was pleased with that, pleased that we can offer that kind of, that, something like that. One gets a sense of mudita, this quality of, of appreciation and uplift from the goodness of uh, what's going on goodness that we're in. I heard they give um, they had this tsunami fund and they collected 300 million pounds in Britain. 300 million pounds. So that's about five pounds for everybody in Britain. And everybody in Britain gave at least five pounds some of the people gave more because I didn't give anything, so somebody must have given my bit too. <laughs> so that's, that's you know, it's really nice to, re- I find it's a sense of gladness to be in a, in being a human being, you know, and uh, far from just the fact of this money being, going somewhere where it could do some good, I imagine just, you know, if you're in the receiving end, you realize people that didn't know you, actually concerned for your welfare and wanted to help you. That's very nice reflection. Yeah, because it can seem a pretty bleak and uh, antagonistic world at times. So to just tune in to the refuge quality. A refuge in Sangha is a refuge in, um, in the goodness and the clarity and the cultivation of mind. It's not a refuge in uh, an order or a monasticism. It's a refuge in what's called the four kinds of noble beings. Eight kinds, actually. It means those who are kind of on the path or getting their 
in their feet on the ground in terms of moving that way. So you can kind of, when one recognizes like that, it's, it's a very nice sense of Sangha refuge as being taking refuge in the goodness and in the clarity, in the selflessness, in the wisdom, in the compassion that's in the world. And we can begin to see it in others and we recognize when it arises and the feeling of, oh, you know, there's that. So, you know, we, are, we can all be that and in that. And when we recognize and respect it and appreciate it in each other, it helps us all to, to dwell there. You know, one of the great, I think, blessings of being a Buddhist as such is that you've got some kind of ground of of values that we can resonate with and share and, and um, also get the joy of, of seeing each other in that particular way. Things become normal, things become, of course, this is what we do, isn't it? You share, you look after each other and help each other and there's, because uh, it makes you feel good. And even more than that, you get to sense the mind is like a kind of substance and when it, it gets very gritty and knotted at times, it can feel like lead at times and it was also, if you work on it, it can become something kind of almost like silk where it, all the tangles and the tears and the grit get massaged and gradually, you know, the tension and the desperation and the, you know, craving or the worries get massaged out of it, it becomes something quite light and silky and uh, spacious and uh, soft. You know, oh, this is, this is, um, you know, the mind made great, the mind made fine. The mind, in this sense, the stuff of the mind, the chitta, is like a kind of substance that can either have very, very unpleasant forms, antagonistic forms, and it is hells, hell realms, or continual kind of despair and desperation realms, hungry ghost realms, or animal realms. It's just kind of uh, instinctive um, appetites. And reactions that we that the mind can become, you can feel it kind of flare and jump and snarl and grab and snatch and so forth. Or it can come into these kind of, um, you know, the substance can become something celestial, fine, uh, like gossamer or silk, or even finer. So you get to these kind of very coarse formed realms, to subtle form realms, to even formless realms. And these are all something you can actually experience in terms of the, the substance of mind, when the mind seems to be actually bright and radiant and uh, expanded, or when it seems to be kind of dark and torn or sinking. Uh, and you, you get a feeling for, for that. Uh, uh, and what, and the, essentially what, um, what makes it that way? The quality of intention. Which isn't necessarily, you know, intention in this sense doesn't mean, you know, deliberation. We're like 
you know, deliberately think, you know, it's not always deliberate intention. It's the basic bent of the mind, which is its kind of angle or its, uh, um, its inclination, you might say. So sometimes the inclination is toward, towards, um, um, it's, very, it's very hungry. Its inclination is towards getting and having. It's tight. It feels very tight. So it's got this kind of bent to it, this twist to it. It's like that. And so this makes it, this, the substance of the mind, if you like, is, is dependent upon the particular quality of the, the bent of it, the inclination of it, the intention of it. And uh, in that state, when the mind is, is turned or inclined in a particular way, it projects a consciousness that then picks up all the material in that, in that light. It's rather like you have a, a computer and you... You put on a search thing, you type in the word, you know, fed up, and then it, and then it goes onto the web, finds you all the 15,000 objects that match up to fed up. <laughs> so you, you throw the net out on that particular search engine, and that's what you get, you get back. All these, and it's there, you know. So in a way, one, the way one throws the net of the mind, the net of mind of consciousness, actually, you know, you, you pick up. That's what you that's what you find. Yeah. So if you type in something like uh, appreciative joy, <laughs> and you fling it out that way. Oh, that's great. That's nice. You know, so I did this. That's good. And you pick up that. Uh, and then we begin to see that kind of intention is something you can have some choice over. First of all, it's, a lot of it is just it's just reactions. It's confused. It's, it's shaking. It's like shell shocked. So it's just it's chucking itself out all over the place. Saying, "Help! Give me! I want! I know!" Uh, uh, and uh, so the first intention is always just to kind of soothe and calm and give the mind a refuge. So it comes out of its shocked, frantic state, which is just reacting from from hunger or need or fear or or. Uh, some kind of abuse still shaking, still resonating and uh, so and then once we begin to see we do have some choice then he's starting to use the, the, the intention of the mind to soften it and refine it and soothe it and spread it and widen it and you know this is you see what the mind actually is it's not a person you know, it's not, it's not a particular pattern that's always there. Hmm. So the, the self-view is, is, means that our mind is always held in a particular pattern you know, of um, behaviours, psychological behaviours, reactions, um, attitudes. So it's formed in that particular way. Um, Say so one of the aims of meditation is just to kind of come out of that form so you know form may be alright it's okay but it's, it's a form and, and in that the mind becomes kind of limited and, and rigid it's, it's held within that particular form so you soften it and you, come, you can make it more formless expansive and in that we begin to to uh, find the causal material that makes us that particular form. You know, 
So as you, as you kind of come into yourself in a way as you're doing meditation, you start to feel out those edges. This is the defensive, or this is the slightly nervous, or this is the uncertain, you know. And uh, you kind of working on those, you can see how the personality, the form that the mind adopts in the personality state, is kind of is gen- engendered by these particular, you know, embedded material, embedded energies, which are all about being separate, really. Yeah. So separation can be a sense of slightly nervous or a bit defensive or uh, yeah. so we, we get you get a particular form you can feel it kind of edgy or hard or or it's no it doesn't yield it's not soft it's not malleable so in, in working with the, the mind just as almost like the substance you're getting the intention to Intentionally, just to work with the mind as a like a, a substance, and uh, work with the, the the worries or the fears or the dull places or the hungry places or the angry places, uh, and that begin to be revealed just by being with yourself, because that yourself is a whole accumulation of these energies, not all negative energies either, but a lot of positive energies. But they, they get they get kind of um, crystallized. They get stuck, and therefore limited. So the goodness there is not actually fully released. Quite a um, fundamental practice of anamodana, rejoicing and sharing of merit. is not even exclusively Buddhist but basic religious practice why do people um, pray and bless and seek blessing and do that it's it's kind of working on the, the stuff of the mind when I was in Tibet they do a lot of praying and blessing and things of this nature and I never used to get the point of all this like who they're praying to no that, that, that no that's not it what they're praying for well that's not really it either really, you know <laughs> oh, they do a tremendous amount of it too you know so you just spend their whole lives doing it more or less and the, we, I was with these uh, Kirisara and Tanisu, who are also very devotional. They have a lot of devotional practice, and they have a use a, a Chinese mantra, which is the mantra to Quan Yin. This mantra is actually meaningless because it's a Chinese rendition of Sanskrit. So it's neither Chinese nor Sanskrit. It's just a kind of series of sounds. Yeah. So it's like if you were you couldn't pronounce Sanskrit, you pronounce Sanskrit with a Chinese accent, you get these sounds, it's not Chinese, it's not Sanskrit, it's just kind of series of sounds, it doesn't actually mean anything at all. Uh, and yet you can recite this thing, so we, okay, yeah, fine, Quan Yin sounds good, we'll do that. And so we made a thing out of this, just because of the sense of just, you know, 
blending the voices and then just send, sending the mind out in that kind of um, in that process, in that practice you feel the mind gets quite um, vast and so we're doing this every day and in uh, some places uh, many times um, I had this thing where he, he had a series of threads and the idea was you, you chant the mantra so many times you tie a knot in a thread and the idea was to make up 21 of these knotted knots in the thread yeah, okay <laughs> and he was very feeling this would be a good thing to do so I thought, yeah, well, why not I don't no, not against the precepts and so forth. And uh, one of these occasions, we we thought we choose particular places to do it in. And we did one in Drac Yerpa, which was a um, kind of a mountain hermitage, about four thousand eight hundred meters up. So you've got to climb up there first of all, which takes a bit of doing. Um, has been mostly been blasted to pieces by the. Red Guards years ago, but they've gradually been rebuilding. Well, if you can call it building, because it's mostly stupas and and the hermits, monks are hermits. They live in these caves, which you've got a wall across the, the mouth of the cave, so they just make a kuti out of a cave, and inside that they just do chanting and praying. And there have been, I think, about twenty of them up there in their various caves doing this. So we went into one and we started doing our chanting, and this monk. We're seeing, so we've got his big prayer wheel out. Things are about the size of a sledgehammer, this prayer wheel. Massive, great thing. And he's given all he's got as well. <laughs> Cranking his prayer wheel. And so we did about five, you know, we did a whole bunch of these Quan Yin mantras about, you know, and he did his thing, his prayer wheel. He's Tibetan. And we have Theravada. And he this meaningless Chinese mantra up a mountain in Tibet. But everyone's really pleased and happy. <laughs> you know, and actually, chanting mantras when you can't hardly breathe is quite a big. You know, you can't get enough oxygen. It's quite a big commitment. <laughs> but I like that. I like that sense of just um, particularly that it didn't mean anything. You know, I like that a lot. Yeah. It didn't have to make sense, so your mind is relieved from that. That kind of uh, how much is this worth? Is this working? Do I understand it? The way that the kind of intellect tends to grab things and just no, just just babble away, you know. Because um, <laughs> that that's a to me is a real way the mind grips. Does this make sense? You know, is it worthwhile? That kind of <laughs> parsimonious quality to the mind and you say well just feel it you know, feel the sense of joy and sharing and blessing and compassion and what that does to the, the mind when we cultivate that that's it you know? and other people may benefit from that who knows you know? I like to at least uh, recollect, you know, that most every day somebody, many people probably are praying 
for the welfare of others. It's uh, it's nice to be, you know, in a in a human realm that you recognise that way rather than as people beating each other up or people swindling or people getting smashed or something. Especially, there's a lot of people out there right now praying for other people's welfare. You know, that's that's where we are. You know, one can tune one's mind into the to the depraved, or you deep through it into the blessed, and think I'll be that one. And once you put your mind out there, then you, you kind of trawl in all that kind of all that information. Well, I was thinking that just the cootie I live in was um, a few years ago. I just used to live in office. I had an office, and I used to, used to kind of sleep under the filing cabinet. <laughs> Because it was just a small one, small room. At least, but before, you know, it was fine. Because before my time, then uh, two people used to use it. So it was, it was, you know, one used to live on a shelf, and uh, <laughs> the other person lived on the floor. <laughs> but now, you know, it's it's got two upstairs rooms, an office room and a room you can meditate in. This is all this uh, Thai woman, Kun Wani, who also helped build this Dhamma Hall. It's amazing, you know. Never really, once, you know, looked at it briefly, came by and looked at it for about three minutes and went away again, that was it. Didn't really want to, you know, talk about it. You know, just, just done it. Fine, it's there, good, that's enough. You know, didn't want to kind of hold anything back with it. You know, it didn't have to be inspect the architecture or anything, just it's there, good, done it, fine, it's enough. <laughs> it's great, you know, the sense in which the, the goodness can be just be put out there and not not even claimed or hung on to. Just out there on the net as it were. Is apart from actually, um, you know, cultivating these things that that affect the substance of mind, calming the mind is a kind of bestowing. When you send the mind into the body and calm it and soothe it, when you send it into um, kindness or compassion and calm it, that's a, that's a giving something. There's a sense of sharing and softening and brightening and sharpening, actually working on it. And working in a way, even if we do that, that we don't rather like, you just know you're doing it. And it gets, uh, there's both the quality of the the substance itself, and then what seems to become to be something that people develop or, or get more attuned to as they practice is, you don't even want to hold it anymore. It's not like, now I've got it, I've got it in this nice space and, no, I say no. I just did it. It's fine. Let it go. You know, and uh, it's like you know in the in the dumb hole. You know, you could 
set up a retreat and then people could kind of wander in and sit down and do things and you'd be fine, you know, be with that, you don't have to shh, 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 stop eating, you're taking your outside, you know, don't keep our place together, you know. You didn't have that, that sense to it. It was okay, this is what's happening, just be just be with that. Uh, and lightly, you know, the lightness of it all. So this is also the the training of intent. First of all, use the intent to to soften and smooth out and bless and brighten and extend uh, the substance of the mind. And then you start to actually work on intent itself as uh, something that you the, the intention to feed on anything, to 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 hold it, to linger it, to store it. Yeah. So that uh, you know, there's if you like throwing out the net in the skillful direction. So we pick up the good and the bright, and then eventually just uh, recognizing the net is just most of it's just holes, um, and you can just let things blow through it. You don't have to throw it around. You know, you've thrown out. The, the tough stuff and the adhesive stuff and the sticky stuff and the fearful stuff and the things that are trapped in the net you open it out and you spread it out and the, and the, you know, the, the hard stuff tumbles out you know, you, you know it just falls out because it's, it's just caught up in the tangle of it when the mind is tangled it holds on to these things doesn't it you know you wonder why do we make ourselves so miserable when we meditate, how come you just kind of can spend an hour or so just getting tense and fraught? You don't want to do that, but it's like things are are caught in the folds, you know. And you actually, you know, it's like the process is one of of trying to come out of the contracted state to allow this stuff to fall out, which is a little bit alarming at first. You know, you see bits of yourself tumbling out, oh dear. Um, but then focusing on the quality of, of opening and, and spreading and calming and, and stilling and releasing, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and then uh, the sense of releasing itself is the best kind of intent. It's just to, just to release. I think in, this, in the suttas it talks about the one's consciousness does not partake of anything. It's within earth, in fire and air, in other words, in the very elemental experiences, um, in the realms of form, in the formless realms, that one is in that consciousness, but it doesn't actually partake of anything. It doesn't actually pick anything up in that. So this is the... Uh, the released consciousness, it's not somewhere else, but in this without picking it up.
but one can also recognize why why do we why does so much stuff get picked up because the substance of the mind is still very um, unsettled so the whole process of of calming and soothing and blessing is to is both to release particular objects of the mind the material stuff history and then to begin to work on the whole sense of having anything needing to have anything which you don't have a lot of stress anymore you don't really need so much happiness you don't have so many um, defensive or frightened states you don't actually need so much of the you know other things so it's like that and it can't really be any other way until you've begun to experience the quality of of the mind itself being a refuge then there's always going to be something that's some need to have something or find something or have some particular you know pick something up so it's what it comes back to making one's own um, mind a refuge and it's ironic because you know we say make a refuge of yourself to yourself but when you actually recognize what sangha as a refuge means it means that that sense of mind or myself in that state is actually not personal it's kind of in everybody you know it's a, the uh, mind is like a sangha it's a shared experience it, it tunes in it picks up it listens to it senses you know small great near far that's um, not divided one of the nice things in the um, stories of these arahants and what arahants do and I think the Buddha just come away from some sangha squabble at, at Kosambi with a sangha having a bit of a of a squabble and a feud over some kind of particular thing that somebody got snarled up about and made a big thing out of anything oh enough of this so he went off to visit these, these uh, other set I think three of them they were all enlightened monks they were living in a park and he said, well, what do you do? What do you do all day? And he said, well, you know, we get up and we go for arms and then we come back and we set up the little eating room and then we tidy up after the meal. Uh, probably had a little grumble as well. <laughs> just just for old time's sake. And then, then they take the slops out, you know, just like what we do here. Uh, and, uh, you know, And they just do it. They just do it like that. And they, sh- they just share this life together. They said, and they say, he says, it's just like I always considered myself. Well, what can I kind of help these other people, the other two here? What, what would be good for them? And everybody's thinking like that. So they say, even though we've got separate bodies as our minds, we've only got one mind. Yeah, it's like you know, there's no real boundaries. There's no divisions within it I think that's a, to me that's a really get a sense of the you know a, a kind of manifest quality of Nibbana or manifest quality of the Arahant 
they actually just can, you know, mop up the Dhamma all together. <laughs> and, uh, you know, share things out in that way with, without making some big mission out of it. It's just natural that, yeah, this is, this is the way it is. This is what's happening with part of this. That's one of the things I appreciate about Sangha life when it works. There's this, this natural sense of of being in something big, boundless, um, built on sharing. And once you tune into the sharing quality of it, you f- you feel this sense of your your personality edges start to dissolve, and you feel a sense of in something that that is a kind of an enlightenment vehicle and it's it's available it's, everybody can be part of that everybody can join in with that so it's for your reflection <laughs>